0: Andy is an award-winning mystery author whose latest book, Split City, features identical twins who are also former pro bowling champions, when one of them is called upon by the small Midwest town sheriff to identify the other's body in the morgue. As you can imagine, all hell breaks loose. Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free e-book and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and today in Binge Reading, Andy talks about the similarities between his own story and his own life. He too is an identical twin who spent a lot of his youth in the local bowling alley and the characters of his story. As usual, we have a great giveaway of free books to to offer you. This time, a selection of clean and uplifting historical romance. Details for where to download them are on the show notes or on the Binge Reading Facebook page. And don't forget exclusive bonus content on the Binge Reading on Patreon page, like hearing Andy's answers in the five quick fire questions. You can hear those by becoming a Binge Reading on Patreon supporter for the cost of less than a cup of coffee a month. We'd love to have you as a supporter. It takes a lot of work to put this together every week. And although my time is not paid, it would be great to get a little extra benefit for supporting our sound crew, the people that transcribe the page, and the podcast hosts. But now, here's Andy. Hello there, Andy, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us.
1: Thanks, Jenny. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Look, you're an award-winning and best-selling author whose latest book, Split City. It's book one in a new series called Jesus Spears series, and it's about identical twin brothers who have both been professional bowlers. Now, I understand there's a big injection of personal biography into that backstory. Tell us about that.
1: I, I grew up in upstate New York, which is where this book is set. It's not autobiographical in in any way the characters are really not my twin but I am an identical twin to start off and when I was young my mother and father took my identical twin and I bowling almost every Sunday after church it was kind of a rig my parents were both bowlers both bold in leagues that that changed a little bit when we got into our teens we kind of that kind of fell away but it was a part of my childhood that was sort of a cherished memory and when the Believe it or not, when the pandemic started uh, a couple of years ago, I was hard at work on sort of a more of a, how would I call it, a, an international uh, thriller, actually co-authored with another gentleman. And I called him up and I said, I need to take a break from this uh, book. It's just too close to reality with everything going on right now. And it, the part of the reason I wanted to do that is that I just felt this, this need to tell this story. This idea came into my head. I I wanted to do a a traditional mystery that was not that was, you know, based character-wise on reality. And it is set in a in an actual area, the 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 Catskill Mountains of upstate New York where we're on from and here in the U.S. But but the town itself, the, the, the county, Partridgebury County, Twin Straits, of course, none of that exists. It's all fictional. And, the, and I wanted to do an amateur sleuth. I didn't want to have a professional detective or anybody with any kind of professional background. I just didn't want that level of reality, I guess, if you will. And so it was... <laughs> It was actually great therapy for me to write this book. It's been, it's been great fun. I've had fun writing it. I hope people have enjoyed reading it from the feedback I get from readers. It seems to be that's the case. So, And I'm having a blast with the characters. I'm actually working on this sequel right now, which we uh, hope to have out. I'm, I'm talking with the publisher right now. I have to meet some deadlines uh, here this quarter in order to have it out this year. It may may get pushed into the first quarter of next year, but Anyway, so that's kind of the background on it. And it's been a lot of fun.
0: So it was kind of a bit of a tonic for you getting through the pandemic. Is that how you see it?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I guess I I needed something that was just an escape. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm, I can't help but wonder if many readers are sometimes in the same boat these days. They just they don't want to, you know. We have so much drama going on. All we got to do is turn on our television or our, or click to our internet. It's just it's splashed into our faces everywhere. It, it seems. And I sometimes I just want to sit with it, whether it be a physical book or an ebook. I'm I'm kind of a, I can go either way myself. But some I know some people feel strongly either one with one or the other. But but just to be able to escape, just to say, okay, I'm in a different world now, and I'm. Enjoying these characters, I want to know more about them, I want to have fun with them, and, and especially I'm enjoying the narrative voice and whatever is going on.
0: Sure. Now, I'm talking to you from New Zealand, as a, as many of our listeners do understand, and in New Zealand, when we talk about bowls, the thing that really comes to mind, well, certainly for people of my generation, is lawn bowls and older people playing bowls outside on very smooth greens, all dressed in white, almost uniforms, white costumes like the cricketers use, but it's not... Mm-hmm. Those sort of bowls you're talking about at all, is it? I don't know if you even have those sort of bowls in the States. It's a different sort of bowling entirely. So tell us a bit about the bowling in this book.
1: Yeah, this book is really, it's 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 American 10-pin bowling. There are that's the majority of the bowling alleys in this country. And Billy Gills, who is the protagonist in the in the book, is a former probe. He's pretty much washed up except he occasionally tries to get into a tournament. And he runs the bowling alley, which is Split City. And so I tell people in a nutshell to describe this book, it's I, I like to think of it as Agatha Christie meets the big Lebowski, uh, if you're familiar with that. And, <laughs> yeah. and and also meets cheers. If it <laughs> that I know that dates me a little bit, but go but I, I wanted it to create a, a sense of community, a place where people come together and So in this book, there is a church, a local church, and then they meet once a month in the bowling alley, and they have an event, which they actually bring people in from out of town and other areas for a recreational thing. And it's a fellowship and so forth, and there's a little talk and so forth, but essentially, uh, and, and that's known as Jesus Spare. So that's where my idea for the mystery series is that, okay, all of these stories, because this is a small town, it's not like there are murders that happen every day, but all of these stories will in some way be related to those events that happen, you know, whether it's people from out of town or people from other in the region there that that come for this event. Yeah, so that's kind of the the idea behind it.
0: It's lightly inspirational, but it's not overtly religious. I think that would be fair to say, wouldn't it?
1: Yes, yes. You know, and I'm sorry, I didn't. I, I, circling back, I didn't quite answer your question. So the, you know, the the ten pin bowling alley is a is a facility with a lane, and of course, there's the professional bowling tooler here in the U.S. where some of the top bowlers earn fairly good money, but nowhere, the bowling was, professional bowling was sort of in its heyday back 30, 40 years ago. And it's not so much anymore, but it's made, made something of a comeback. The PBA, as it's known, is still quite popular and particularly in the Midwest of the United States. So it is a, an area, nowadays, it is actually one of the most popular or largest sports in America. I think the estimates are something like 60 to 70 million people went bowling last year. In, in bowling alleys, but it's mostly recreational. Families, people getting together. There are leagues and so forth that are formed. They're nowhere near as popular as they were back in my parents' day. And there's actually quite a good um, nonfiction, very kind of a serious book by a sociologist that came out about 20 years ago called Bowling Alone. And, and he documents the sort of the, the restructuring of the American community and he uses the bowling leagues as sort of a, a, a metaphor, sort of an analysis of that, because back in my parents' day, for example, a a much much larger percentage of people were involved in these leagues and these communities, and then that really really fell off quite dramatically in the 80s and 90s. And he saw that as an indication of changes in community and and so forth. So, and which is. Uh, you know, I'm not a sociologist. I refer all the people to the book. I've read parts of it. It's interesting. It's an interesting thing. What I'm looking to do with this book is to, I guess, in some ways, resurrect that feel that I got from my childhood of a community where people in a small town come together. And uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, the more recent events indicate perhaps that the community is not quite so glued together as it was as you when you were growing up.
1: Yes. I mean, in the book, you mean?
0: I mean that your book takes us back to a time when the community was more glued together. But this book that you mentioned, Bowling Alone, Mm. indicates that perhaps the decline in popularity was because communities became less cohesive.
1: Yes. Yes, exactly. And, you know, I think it's to the point now where, and part of this, of course, is due to social media and some of the technology we're using right now, there are people that actually live in suburban neighborhoods that don't even know their neighbors, for example. Yeah. And, and of course, that that would not have been the case, you know, back in my parents' day. So so this book, you know, of course, you know, doesn't, you know, put its head in the sand and not recognize that. Of course, it's modern day, there's technology and so forth, but it is in a small town. And now some of the characters uh, are. Quite different, and (laughs) there's some different things going on, you know, and that's something that I've had a lot of fun too. And I'm looking forward myself to seeing these characters evolve and getting to know them a little better. There is a very humorous
0: tone to it. And you're saying about bowls being a sport. You mentioned a sport there, which I had never heard of, and which at the beginning I thought he must be, you know, joking. What extreme ironing as a sport. Now I looked it up, and it really (laughs) does exist. Tell us
1: about that. Well, I don't know that all that much about it, but I, I was really thinking of. I wanted to make. I should say this is sort of inside baseball. My identical twin brother is an economist. Okay, so he has a PhD in economics. He's a very he's a very prestigious executive with one of the big banks here in America, and he's nothing. I wanted to make this character nothing like him. Okay, so I, I wanted him, but I wanted him to be have some financial success so he creates this is bo gills now not our narrator but bo gills once they both leave professional bowling billy and bo actually leaves early prematurely because he has an idea for these kind of strange funky bowling shoes and they take off they're known as Treadbows. they become sort of the uh the Air Jordan sneakers of the bowling world, and they, he builds a little factory there in this Partridgeberry County, and his Treadbow you know shoes become this big, big, big thing. He's also very quirky and very different. He has all sorts of he's he has some money. He's he travels a lot. He's a little bit of a womanizer, and but he also um, does some strange things. One of which is extreme ironing, <laughs> which. It's, you know people can look it up on the internet it's it's a phenomenon where people will uh, is sort of as a prank sort of as a sport they will attempt to actually iron a shirt or something for example on an ironing board while you know standing on their head or or riding on horseback or you know doing all sorts of what you know standing on the edge of a cliff you know climbing a mountain or Whatever you can think of. And it is a thing.
0: Look, it's wonderful because you do combine that humor with intense emotion. And the book opens with a very graphic scene of Billy being asked to go to the morgue by the local sheriff to identify a body that the sheriff thinks is his brother. And because they're identical twins, of course, that has a special poignancy. I don't think there's anybody who wouldn't identify with that scene and feel um, for Billy. We won't let on what actually happens. But what inspired you to open the book that way?
1: That's just the first thought that occurred to me when I had the idea for the book. I I didn't know where it was going to go or how it was going to end up. At first, I thought it might go in one direction, and it ended up going in a completely different direction, to my surprise. But I thought it was a good way to open a mystery with right up front with something that was unusual and something also that on an emotional level, I personally could relate to because I could imagine myself being called in such a place and looking down at a body that looks like myself and, you know, trying all the emotions that might be, you know, and I tried to capture that as well as I could in the book to give readers a sense of what it's like to be a twin, you know, to actually see someone else in the flesh who looks like you. Yeah. There's Still, a, even at my age now, and 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 you know, I I have a couple of grandchildren. Even at my age, my my twin and I talk all the time. We don't see each other physically as often as I would like, especially since the pandemic. But you know, we talk usually two or three times a week on average. But in any event, even just hearing his voice or seeing his face on a screen or whatever it might be, it's kind of hard for me to communicate with people what that feeling is like, but I, I wanted to try to do that as best I could with this dramatic scene.
0: Yeah, and I think you do. It's terrific. I wanted to make sure that we got to talk about your other series too, because once again, you have a really uh, unique take on things. You've got a Seamus Award-winning series built around a a former cop called Frank Pavlicek, and he's got a particular sport or interest, leisure interest that he pursues, and that's falconing. And falconing appears in a number of these books. There's four or five of the Frank Pavlicek books, I think, is there?
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: And the K Street Hunting Society is the most recent of those. What Mm -hmm. made you decide to pick on falconing as something to to add into the book?
1: Well, that's a... An interesting story to some degree. When I was in college, low those many years ago, I was introduced for the first time to the private detective novel. And it was in a class, believe it or not, on modern American literature. So it included a lot of luminaries of literary fiction. And lo and behold, there was a little, you know, mass market paperback book among the stack of these very prestigious literary novels. And I, I was. I was curious, you know, as a 19, 20-year-old sophomore in college from a small town, what is this? <laughs> and it was Raymond, Raymond Chandler's The Big Sleep. And I was I was enthralled. I was of all the books I read in college as an English major, that stuck with me the most. It's something about the voice. I resonated with it. And so. I, I wanted to write. I actually was I actually played sports in college. I played college basketball, small college, very small college. But, so I was very involved in that. But, and I, I also wrote, I published a couple of short stories in college in the, the you know the campus literary journal. nothing too prestigious or anything. But uh, I didn't really have the confidence to feel that I could make it as a writer or, and I didn't want to go on and pursue more uh, academic training. So I went into business and I did that for 10 or I was actually 13 years altogether. But my wife, bless her soul, <laughs> came to me after our second child was born and said, You know, I'm going to be going back working full time. She, well, she'd been working full time. I shouldn't say that, but she was, she'd gone through her training while I was working. And I was actually working in the medical field as well. I worked for some large pharmaceutical companies and so forth. But she wanted to, she said, Why don't you take a year or two off and You've always talked about writing a book, which I had, and she said it was almost like put up or shut up, buddy. <laughs> so, and, if it, and if it doesn't work out, go back to you know what you've been doing. So I and, and I could stay and sort of be a stay-at-home dad part time with our our two, the then two-year-old daughter, who's recently engaged to be married now. By the way, at the age of twenty-eight, so, so it shows you how long ago that was. But anyway, so she laid down the, the challenge, and and I never went back. I never went back to what I did. I started writing. Started working. I didn't have, didn't know whether I could finish a novel, but it didn't take too. I tried some different genres. I tried some different things. I actually tried some medical thriller kind of things, but it didn't really take. But as soon as I had the idea to write a private eye novel, I said, "Okay, I know this voice. I can write this." But then, of course, if you're familiar at all with the private detective genre, the the long story history of it, and it which is, continues to this day, it's a little bit daunting. You know, in terms of, well, what can you do that's something that's different, that's yeah. unique about yeah. the character? You know, there's, it's everything from soup to nuts, you know, everything from, you know, Raymond Chandler to Sue Grafton and everywhere in between. I mean, there's just so much that's out there. And now we have things from all different multicultural, which is fantastic. I mean, it's just amazing how the genre keeps evolving. But for my little piece of it, I, I had this idea. I was out of, I, my wife had gotten into bird watching. And I'd always been kind of fascinated with hawks and eagles and falcons and that sort of thing. And so I would, you know, every time I'd see one, I'd get out the binoculars and look and so forth. But I had this idea as I was sitting on my deck one day, and I think a hawk was circling around or something. And I said, you know, I wonder, I, I think I've heard of something called falconry, where people actually hunted with hawks, where they actually kept hawks. Not necessarily as pets, but they actually worked with it. I said, wouldn't that be kind of an interesting idea and of course, I, I immediately thought of Dashil Hammett's *The Baltic Falcon* as a sort of a reference. But so I, I got up, this was back in the early days of the internet. So I, I hopped on, you know, the slow connection and got in touch with a guy who was a, a professional falconer working at a, a resort out about a two-hour drive from us. And he's, he was very nice, very cordial. He said, yeah, come on out, spend a day. We'll take a hawk We'll fly so somewhere. So I had the idea. I had already started writing a little bit that I was going to have my character be a former homicide detective who'd been involved in a dramatic shooting in, in New York City and uh, had to leave police force as a result and, and ends up in Virginia in a rural area. And all this stuff. So I would already started writing the character, but I wanted to give him something unusual. And I thought, oh, falconry might be might be the ticket. So I I go out with this guy, and we we fly the hawk around, and it was really cool. And I'm making notes. I'm learning all about the sport and everything. And then when we get done, I, I said, well, his name's Mark Westman. I said, Mark. Um, so did, have you always done this? I mean, because I knew it wasn't a super high paying job. And he said. Oh no, I was a homicide detective for 13 years in Florida, in Fort Lauderdale. I was like, oh, okay. I know I'm in the right place now. I know I'm doing the right thing. So but he became a, a great source of information along with a few others. There actually been a few a number of ex-cops who are uh, practice falconry. And uh, falconry is a sport, if you're if you're not familiar with it, is worldwide, very, very popular actually in the UK and, and in Europe and so forth and in, in America. There are about five thousand licensed falconers. It's practiced differently depending upon one's locale and, you know, the type of land and so forth that are available, and the type of game and so forth. So, but and eventually, as I got drawn into it more, I I got more involved in the falconry community. I became a licensed falconer myself, and I've flown five different hawks. Over the years, and I don't do it now. I had some health issues a few years back. I had to drop it and I, I may go back to it at some point. So that's how I, I came about it. Long story, sorry, but no,
0: that's lovely because you you know you're saying that you were looking for something different, which feeds very nicely into me raising the fact that Jeffrey Drever, no less, called your book. A breath of fresh air in the field of private eye fiction. That must have been an accolade that you thought you would never
1: receive. Yeah, I, uh, that was really uh, that was a blessing. I really felt feel good about that. And um, and it is a it you know it, it, it's a different perspective. I, I like to tell people, you know, Frank Paluchek, that has one foot in the mean streets, you know, of Raymond Chandler, he has one foot in the woods. And, yeah. you know, it's not that there haven't been other characters and there aren't other very good characters with outdoor themes. And it, that that series, I, I have been working on the next book of the series, but it's taken me quite some time to, to get traction with that. I had a manuscript. The The book, by the way, was originally published by Penguin Putnam in New York, the N.A.L. Signet Division. And there was, I had a three book contract with them and they, they did the first three in the series. But unfortunately my first editor left and then my second editor left and anyway long long story the the series didn't stay with them eventually i was able to get the rights back thankfully and actually put out some of them myself when the ebook thing hit and then company brash books which is uh lee goldberg and joe goldman picked it up around 2014 15 and they've been wonderful to me they helped rebrand the series and yeah, so they've helped a lot, and unfortunately, my last manuscript wasn't really up to their standards that they wanted me to. This is when I was going through some of my health difficulties, so I'm still working on it. You know, while I've worked on other projects, and I hope to have a new Pavlicek book someday. It's been very good to me. It's been a great series, and uh, I still feel that there's some there's more books that Frank has to tell. But the characters in that series have evolved quite a bit as the series goes along. So, you know, there's been some changes in in the road and so forth. So we'll see where it goes.
0: We're taking a short break. We'll be back with Andy Straker soon. Dangerous Desires, book 10 in the Of Gold and Blood Mystery series, is available still at the special launch price of $1.99 for a limited time. Set in the colorful California of the 1870s, it can be read as a standalone novel or as the final in the series. Get it at the special launch price and enjoy page turning suspense and Beat the Odds Romance. And now we're back with Andy Stryker. Look, it's, it's wonderful talking to you and this. We could talk for hours, but we are starting to run out of our allotted time in terms of how we run the show. So turning away from the specific books, looking at your wider career, if there was one thing that you've done that you would see as quotes, the secret of your success, I know it's a little bit of a cliche, but for perhaps other writers who aren't as far along the trail as you are, what would you say that the key ingredient has been for you to get this far?
1: Does stubbornness count?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of writers do say that. <laughs> I, you
1: know, I think I think that plus a little bit of a blue collar mentality, if I can use that term. I guess I was an English major in college and I, I have my MFA in, in creative writing. So I'm and very and, and, and I actually enjoy reading literary fiction. I, I actually these days I probably read more of that than crime fiction. But at the same time, I I remember I think this was William Faulkner who said this. I could be wrong about the quote because I've heard it re-quoted a few times, but someone asked him how he he got his inspiration or how he wrote, you know, consistently. He said, I only write when I'm inspired. And he said, fortunately, I'm inspired every morning at 9 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> and i think that mentality that okay i look at it as a professional writer and whether we make a lot of money or a little bit of money or somewhere in between if we take that approach that okay whatever time i have allotted whether it's you know 10 hours a day or 15 minutes a day or somewhere in between or so many hours per week i've there's so many stories out there that are far more inspirational than mine of people who've Written late into the night, or gotten up at three or four in the morning, and so forth, while holding down a job, and all these wonderful things. I've been really blessed to uh, be able to make my own schedule for quite some time now. We, my wife and I, do have six children <laughs> that we've raised, and you know, so we've had a lot going on besides my writing. But I think that mentality, that sort of uh, lunch pail mentality, that okay, I'm I'm going to I'm going to go to work now, whether even if it's only for an hour or two, whatever it is, I'm going to be consistent about it. And if you're consistent over the long haul, then lo and behold, gee, well, so we have a book now, but also being able to be flexible and be willing to take criticism and be willing to change and say, okay, I'm going to work with an editor. I'm going to listen to what they have to say and I'm going to take it in. And I I may not just... Uh, regurgitate what they might suggest, because if they're seeing a problem in my book, okay, I, how am I going to fix that problem? Aha, I know a better way to fix that problem than what the editor even came up with, because it's my book, right? I wrote it. I know all the ins and outs, and I know where the characters are going and, and what might even be a better idea. So just to be flexible and, and willing to take that input, I think, is, is a key, been a key for me. That was how my first book was published, frankly, because it was rejected when my agent shopped it around. She was all excited, thought she was going to get an auction, and it got totally rejected. But I had a couple of editors give me feedback, one in particular, for, he gave me about a page of some ideas. And I took his ideas and I rewrote the book. It took me about six months. But I didn't use his ideas. I I, I took the problems that he did it. I fixed them in the way that I thought was best. And when the agent sent it back to him, he quickly sent me a contract within two days. So yeah. that I think was a learning experience for me about okay, this is how you do it as I guess a pro, if you will. You know, you write, you recognize that okay, everything I write is not perfect, but if I take in what you know seasoned pros and editors or Readers that I really trust, other novelists and so forth that I whom I know who I respect. If they give me feedback and says this is not working here, okay, then I've got to go fix it. And being willing to do that and be flexible and you know that's I think that's the big issue.
0: And was that the first Frank Pavlicek book?
1: That's correct.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Look, we are coming to the end now, Andy, and we like to check in with your reading taste because this is the joys of binge reading and some of our listeners probably like to follow up on the things that you say you've really enjoyed. It is a popular fiction show, really. We're unabashedly not ashamed to say that we're into genre fiction. So Andy, as reader, what have you been reading lately, literary or, or genre, that you particularly enjoyed?
1: Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pull up my little Kindle app here and I will share with you my library. (laughs) (laughs) Right now, excuse me, I've got The Deep, Deep Snow by Brian Freeman, Lee Goldberg's latest, which is Gated Prey, a book that actually Lee recommended called Cowboy and Cossack, which a lot of people aren't familiar with. It's uh, Western, but it's very different, uh, quite different. Set in Russia, of all things. Ah. Uh, double Agent. Let's see. The Other Passenger. And There's some Mary Kay Andrews on here. There's some Cozy Mysteries. This is sort of my, been some of my research that I've done. But uh, I'm trying to find... Let's go down the list here. But I think Leif... I'm trying to remember the name of the book, but I, I can't for some reason find it on here. Leif Anger's latest book um, that he wrote, he's the author of Peace Like a River. That is more literary fiction. Uh, that was his first book that came out in 10 years. On my audio list, that'd probably be a good place to go to because sometimes I like to listen to some of my literary fiction on that just to get the cadence and the rhythm of words. You know, there's uh, a book called Cloud Cuckoo Land, which is Anthony Darr's latest. You know the oh, author of yeah. all the light we cannot see. Yes. I'm actually listening to a very interesting book. It's uh, it's maybe some would find it controversial, at least here in the U.S. or or maybe over in Asia as well. It's a book called The Sympathizer. My future and son-in-law is actually Vietnamese, and uh, his parents were actually boat people. So I've been reading. I've been listening to this, but it's it gets quite an insight. It's, it's set at the end of the Vietnam War, and it's a it's a someone who's a South Vietnamese who escapes, and it's it's kind of a Somewhat of a mystery, I guess it would be classified as genre fiction. Not genre fiction, but I've been a William Gibson fan for some time. James Lee Burke is always inspiring. Dave Robeshaw's, uh series, anyway. That's just a start, but that's yeah,
0: that's, that that kinda... sounds like heaps. Thank you. So, when do you find time
1: to do all this reading? <laughs> you know, it it, it I do it in fits and starts. You know, when I if uh, sometimes. I may binge watch television, if it's good television. <laughs> my wife and I have gotten into watching This Is Us, a show called This Is Us lately, which is very well done. And But anyway, so it, it just depends. Uh, and then I, along with that, I'm watching the new Reacher, the new Jack Reacher uh, series, which I highly recommend. I think it's nothing against the, the Tom Cruise uh, movies, but this is far better, in my opinion, closer to the books, to the Reacher books. Yes. And so that's a lot of fun. So I have seen I very positive
0: comment on that actor that plays the new in the new series. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So those are all those have all been fun books, and of course, almost anything that comes out, you know, by people like Jeff Deaver, John Gilstrap or people like that. Yeah. Uh, C.J. Box. I uh, I don't haven't read as much as C.J. lately. He actually has a falconer in his books. His books are set in Wyoming. You know, he has a game warden is his main. But those are fun books for me as well to read.
0: Wonderful. Looking back down the tunnel of time, if there was one thing about your writing career that you'd like to change, what would it be? That's
1: a good question. I, I guess what it would be is, well, I was going to say I wish I'd started earlier writing seriously. But I don't know that I would have been ready for that. And I think I may have been accumulating stories in into my mid-30s before I really started writing seriously. Yeah. So I don't know that I look at that as a regret. From time to time, I, I've looked at that and I see some of these young writers coming up and I was like, wow, I, I'm just blown away by the talent and the ability that they may have, say, in their 20s or so forth. And and, I, and sometimes I wonder, well, where do you go from here? <laughs> For those of us that, that got started a little bit later, that's one thing. I, I don't know that, I, that I'd change that. I can't, I don't know. I'm not one of these people that looks back with a lot of regret about things. That Are there decisions that I've made that I could have made differently? You know, I maybe could have accepted a lesser contract with Penguin at the time. I was probably too arrogant about it, but... I don't really sit and dwell on that too much. I, people have been so nice to me. I've been so blessed. And the, the, the two agents that I've had and publishers, I dealt with five different publishers. By and large, the people have just been wonderful and, and very kind to me and very patient and very, very good to work with. So I've been very fortunate.
0: Wonderful, Andy. Look, just give us an idea of what you've got planned for the next 12 months in, in terms of your desk and your writing
1: Well, the next book in the Jesus Spare series is called A Split End, and uh, it's about a former professional football player who's found face down in a pile of cantaloupe on a farm, uh, dead supposedly of a heart attack. So in American football, there is a position called split end. Anyway, and that's the position he played when he was a professional footballer. That's uh, very much in progress now. I have a couple of other uh, that are quite different, sort of a sci-fi thriller thing that I've been working on for some time, even back into my MFA program. Do- not sure when that's ever going to see the light of the day, but I work on that from time to time. I have this international thriller that I mentioned I've been working with a co-author. My co-author on that is actually a former uh, U.S. Marine intelligence officer who was in Iraq for two tours of duty. So I have to get back to that, and I've I've been kind of negligent, and he's been very patient with me on that. So I have a number of projects that I work on. There's another series I I did, I co-authored with a screenwriter, a book called Dragonflies, which was a techno thriller. And uh, we kind of finished it up, but we didn't really totally finish the story. It needs to be a trilogy, and I need to get back to that. We were actually trying to sell the screenplay to Paramount, and, and we thought we had a sale, but it all fell through, of course, unfortunately. Shouldn't say, of course, sadly. But uh, I do, and some of the people who've read it have said to me, well, are you ever going to get through? This? I want to know what happened. So I have to get in and really try to finish that. And of course, there's the Pavlicek series, so which I continually noodle around with. I just, there's a short story that if you go to my, I'll give a plug for my website if you don't mind. If you go to um, andystraka.com, You can download for free my latest Pavlicek writing, which is A Falcon in the Cold, which is a a short story that I wrote, a Frank Pavlicek short story.
0: Fantastic, because that is our concluding uh, question always. Where can readers find you online and do you like to interact with them online?
1: I do to a certain extent and I'm on social media uh, somewhat sporadically, but kind of regularly and just kind of, I mostly just talk about writing. I try not to get involved in too much, you know, current events or anything of that yeah, nature. I yeah. just try to keep it light and so forth on social media. But you can anybody can go to my website. It's just my name, andystraka.com, and learn more about my books.
0: Fantastic. Look, it's been fantastic talking. Andy, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you for your time.
0: Next week on Binge Reading, Heather Weber, mystery author. Heather is drawn to the magic side of life with mysteries that reflect southern charm, food, family, and a very light touch of the supernatural. That's it for today. See you next week. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to be sure you won't miss out next week on Hearing Heather Weber. And if you'd like to go the extra mile and support us on Binge Reading on Patreon, check it out for exclusive bonus content like the the behind-the-scenes newsletter and the five five questions. All of the links for where they can be found in the show notes.